This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hello, More Than Workers. How many of you just absolutely love meetings? Like, that's your favorite thing to do. Like, I can't wait to go to my next meeting. I'm in meetings all day long. It's fantastic. I got pulled out of the field to go to the meeting. I was working with customers, but now I get to go to this meeting today. Are you happy or are you sad when you do that? Many of you are probably sad. We ask people all the time in other meetings, ask them, how do you like meetings? And people will say, no, I don't like meetings at all. I think meetings are terrible. So we've talked a little bit about how meetings are run, but we're going to zero in on something very specific today. So opening up, I want to share a little bit of a story that I had in my past life. I was working in a manufacturing environment and we decided as a department that we needed to have a meeting so that we could collaborate. We wanted to work together and it was a couple different departments that were going to be meeting together so we could collaborate across the workflows that we were doing, how we worked together, how we could communicate all this. And everybody was super excited about this meeting. And the manager for one of the departments decided to lead the meeting, said, okay, well, great. I'm glad we're pulling everybody together. I will lead the meeting. And he led the meeting with what I would call an iron fist. He came in, everybody show up, we're going to do this on time. And he called out people during meetings. He embarrassed people in meetings. He often turned into lecturing mode. Uh, if somebody challenged something that we were doing, he would take it personally and answer questions like, uh, like, oh, why don't we do it this way? Well, let me tell you why we've always done it the other way. And then maybe you'll understand and you'll stop questioning me and just kept pushing back. And over just two or three meetings, the meetings became completely unproductive. Nobody wanted to go anymore. Nobody wanted to share it. Sometimes we blame meetings in general for these things when really we should be blaming the facilitator for the meeting. If you have ever led a meeting or if you're ever going to lead a meeting, you are a facilitator. You may not think of yourself as a facilitator, but you are a facilitator. So as a group of facilitators here at People-Centric Consulting Group, we thought it would be a good discussion for us to talk about how do you facilitate a great meeting? So we're going to start with one of our great facilitators, Mr. Matt Griswold. Thank you, Don. It is a pleasure to be back with you here on the People-Centric More Than Work podcast. And we are going to talk about these, you know, effectively facilitating meetings. And, you know, we talked about this internally, and this is true. We do have an hour-long PowerPoint presentation that we take to, to companies all over the country to, to teach them how to effectively run a meeting. This is a thing, this is a thing that is more common than what you would think. Uh, here's, here's the other part that I'm just going to go very, very high level. This is not going to, we're not going to structure this with, here's some tips on on, on uh, how to effectively structure a meeting or how to run a meeting. What we want to focus on is the facilitation part of the actual meeting, not necessarily the content, but how to facilitate a group of people through an effective use of our time. I, I think that we should lay a ground rule here too. We are fans of meetings. We think they are important. We're also fans of canceling meetings that are not fruitful. So if there are meetings that you are dragging yourself to right now, uh, that you're like, I, I go there and I don't offer anything and I don't gain anything, then I think you, sh you all should talk about stopping that meeting immediately. That's neither here nor there for this uh, talk, but that is something that we, you know, that we do endorse. So yes, we like meetings. It's a valuable use of our time. How do we want to use that time now that we're together? And facilitating the meetings like Don uh, brought up already, the job of the facilitator, I think let's start there. You know, we, we have facilitated a lot of meetings. Don used this word, if you're facilitating a meeting, what does that look like? And I think that's important for us to diagnose maybe now. What is the job of the facilitator of a meeting? What does that, that job look like? What does that job look like? I think about facilitating a meeting versus like leading a meeting. 
what I see is leading the meeting, people think they're walking through an agenda. They're really focused on the thing that the action items, I have to check off these boxes as I walk through. I think facilitator, what they do is they get a discussion going. The best meetings that I've facilitated are ones where I say very little things. Like if you can just ask the right questions and you can grit the group talking and you can bring different people in and then you can just keep the discussion focused and moving in the right direction. I think that's what the role of a facilitator is. It's to let other people's voices be heard, come together, have clear action, move forward. It's not really about you. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes as the facilitator, I'm kind of like air traffic control. I'm just making sure that we are moving the production line on through there, right? I'm, I'm just making sure that the agenda items are touched on, making sure that we are moving from talking point to talking point, making sure that if we get stuck, I can maybe try to help us get unstuck, make sure that people are involved. Uh, in the meeting, which kind of leads me to another question here, because how many of us are leading meetings that maybe one of our frustrating points is that people just are not involved. Everybody's not involved. What does involved mean and what does that look like? Well, most people would say that involved means everybody's talking, they're participating, they're interacting, they're answering questions, they're raising their hand. That's, I think, generally what people look for when they're talking about interacting in a meeting. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about in our PowerPoint that we do lead, the, the, the title of it says, uh, if your meetings are boring, then you're doing it wrong which is, I love the line, if your meetings are boring, then you're doing it wrong. Maybe not because of the structure of the meeting, but how it's being facilitated. And, you know, sometimes we do go into it saying, I want to involve everybody. And that might mean where, yes, I want them to talk. I want them to raise their hands. I want them to interact and, and table discussions. And man, they're going to take some of the agenda. But that that is different maybe for the different participants that we have around the room as well. And so part of being a facilitator is recognizing the the, the room, recognizing the players that you have around the table and maybe even structuring that meeting in a way that that everybody has, has a very clear idea of what it is that we're trying to accomplish when the meeting begins, right? Yeah, a really common way I know that we start meetings, Matt, on that is saying, hey, if we're wildly successful at the end of this discussion, what does that look like? Just yeah. to get, just to set expectations because everybody shows up with different expectations. Sometimes in meetings, some people think, oh, we're going to work through all the details. Some people think, oh, we're coming to brainstorm new ideas. Some people may say we're coming just for informational purposes. And if everybody's walking in with different perspectives of what that meeting is, that's difficult. As a facilitator, you can just ask the questions and then people will start to share what they think they're going to see. And then you can get it. You, they will calibrate with each other on what the meeting's purpose is going to be. Yeah. Let me ask, let me ask this question as we get going in this conversation here too. So what are some common facilitator failures maybe that we see where people maybe just, man, they're trying their best, but we are, they are setting up their own obstacle or their own failure within the meeting there. And, and the result of the meeting is because a direct, you know, directly related to something that maybe that facilitator is doing or saying or trying. Any ideas on facilitator failures that we have seen, Diana? Well, Don pointed out a few just in his story, right? It was the guy wasn't very kind and shut people down or or said demeaning things to them. You and I were just talking about someone we facilitated a meeting with where the guy went around the room and was like, you, you must speak right now. Okay, next, you speak right now. And those are just not very effective when you do that. Yeah, Super it's funny when it's not you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, for us, because we do this all the time, I like no offense, people, but we go to some of these meetings, and we're like, holy smokes, I can't believe they just said that. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe they don't understand why nobody's you know, interacting, why they're not why they're not participating in that meeting. Sometimes from the outside looking in, it's, it's a little easier. Uh, it's a little easier to identify. You know, some of the other things that maybe I've seen and you can we can talk about this, too, is is a facilitator that struggles with silence. 
why would we say that that's a failure maybe on a facilitator's role if you struggle with silence, if you're not comfortable in that, that realm? People are so, and, and, and it's funny, we'll talk to people who they'll ask a question and they'll say, well, who's got a good idea about this? And then, because really we need a great idea on terms of what to do forward. People, you're not really listening to, you know, what, what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. Can somebody give me an answer? And then I'll talk to them later. And I'm like, you really didn't give them a chance to answer because you just have that little tiny bit of silence. Sometimes to a facilitator in public speaking, this is really true, is you feel that silence and that feels a lot longer than it actually is. To the listener who's sitting there thinking and processing, like they're listening to their head in that moment of thinking, I need to form my thoughts. I need to process what it is you're saying and come up with an answer, especially if it's a difficult answer. So we don't give enough time for people to be able to respond. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a little bit of conversation that, you know, goes into personality styles or communication styles too, that blends into this uh, facilitating, you know, if I'm that, if I am that, I don't want to say domineering go-getter style there, but if I am that, the one that likes to take the reins and just get going, if I ask a question, I probably anticipate your hand's going to go up in a half a second. And for a lot of people, that is not the reality of the situation. I ask a few of those and I still don't see your hand. Now my perception as the facilitator is that you clearly have nothing to offer. You're not even listening. You're disengaged in the whole process. Like we, these are things that we hear all the time uh, if, that, if that hand doesn't immediately go up. Don? Yeah, I, you know, I want to ask a question here because Diana, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm going to put <laughs> you on the spot over a topic that is actually, I'm going to put you in the moment that I want to talk about. Yes. And it's this idea that there are- this. They hate this, right? This I is love the moment. It. So Not I'm going to prepare you. I'm giving you as much time yeah. as I can. You hear me doing, I'm actually doing some facilitation right now. Uh, like I'm trying to prepare you. Trying but to get you've you ready given me nothing to think about. But nothing to think about. <laughs> Diana is a processor. Diana wants to think about the things that are out there. And so she'll think about those. And so in the moments, Diana, in those meetings where somebody is trying to ask questions and asking you to come up with quick answers for something, Like, can you share a little bit with what's going on in your mind as a processor? Like, what's that like? Is that add a lot of extra stress for you? And I'm drawing this out a little bit to give you as much time as possible to process your answer and think about it. That's great. Thank you for that. Yeah. So honestly, this, I don't know if this is everybody, but my processor brain is thinking about 7 million things at one time. (laughs) So like when Matt asks what he thinks is a seemingly simple question, or you ask what you think is a seemingly simple question, there's 900 things in my brain that go along with that question. So I'm thinking about what buckets does this go in? How can I make this clear? What's operationally needed? Is there resources that I have to find? Um, What about four months from now? Is there a process that we can follow? Who all needs to be involved? I could go on. There's a lot in my head. The other thing that I struggle with as a processor is I also crave clarity. And so when people are brainstorming and when people are asking questions that don't actually have answers, I'm, I'm just searching for the clarity and I'm searching for the bits and pieces that will fit together in my brain. And so I generally am very quiet until a lot of those things fit. And then I can be very clear when I actually do speak. So I tend to hold my words and use them sparingly because I do want the clarity. Does that help at all? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's helpful. Don, is that what you were going for? Yeah, that, that's perfect. And I appreciate you. I knew I literally put you in the situation that is difficult for you, you to have. But I wanted people, I think it's important for people to hear that because in a different person, I like my personality who I'm more of like, you're, you're more of an outliner. We talked about communication styles. Like I like to get all the details, work things out. I'm the whiteboard person, you know, whiteboard user. 
So I like the different ideas. And so somebody could say, you know, what if we weren't even a consulting company? What if we sold ice cream right here out on Walnut Street? And I'd be like, yeah. yes, let's go down that path. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Work with me, follow well, it. Yes, more. <laughs> what? Here's, here's what this looks like. And, and I could interpret Diana's silence as like disagreement or confusion or not understanding or anything. And it's, it's not, it's not, or disengagement worse off. And it's not disengagement. It's literally Diana's not sure. Like, I don't even know what questions to ask maybe. Yeah. I'm really, a lot of times I'm just sitting to wait and find out where things are going to land a little bit more. And then I can put insights or ask questions or ask for clarity if it's still not there for me. But I have to sort of wait it out a little bit. And in my brain, it has to fit into all of the other parts that are already there. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of difficult if it's a totally new concept or totally new project, because I have to figure out where that fits in my head. And maybe that seems crazy, but the only way I survive this chaos is to build my own roads. Yeah. I think, I think part of, if, if we're taking this back to how to effectively facilitate that meeting with, with, I don't want to say with people like Diana, you know, it's all in the voice tone, but with, with folks like that, I mean, facilitators can do themselves a great service if they help set up their team for success. And you could do that by understanding the different people that we have around the table, how they typically like to work or how they typically process information, you know, how they typically participate, quote unquote, or how, how they're typically involved. And I can set them up for success to be able to help effectively run, run a meeting by understanding the different folks that I have around the table. Another facilitator failure that I see is not delegating. You know, Don just talked about, you know, some of the most effective meetings that I have facilitated. I didn't do a lot of the talking. And so I think this whole idea, you know, recognizing, man, I hear from so many people as I'm the manager, I'm supposed to take that on. I'm the boss, I'm supposed to lead that. But I think an effective facilitator trait to be able to effectively facilitate meetings is also feel like you can delegate some of those regular meeting responsibilities. Have you experienced anything like that? Or what has your experience been? Or have you seen? I can say that if I've got the meetings where I think I've got a great idea for how they should run are the ones that go the worst. Like, I think I should like, here's, let me walk you through this whole process. And here's what we're all going to do. Yeah. Meetings that do go the best are the ones where we say, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Maybe even let's divide this up. Let's let's create roles for other people to be able to co-create the meeting and co-create the discussion along the way. That really does create a lot more buy-in just naturally because people get to be involved with it. Mm-hmm. Can I throw another buzzword out while we're, this just dawned on me here too, but this is why facilitation is hard because they have many different responsibilities as a facilitator to be, to be able to effectively facilitate a meeting. And one of those, one of those responsibilities is you have to really work at creating psychological safety during the meeting itself. I just had an opportunity to, to talk about meetings and psychological safety earlier this week with a group from Michigan, and it was a good conversation about psychological safety and what are some things, how do I own that for the group and what are some things that I could do to be able to create it? So first of all, let's, can we answer that first? Like, how would you define psychological safety? What is it that we're, because to a lot of people, that's like that feely word, emotion word, like we're at work, just come to the meeting, just do work. Uh, but what is psychological safety? And maybe what are some things that we can do to help create that? So psychological safety is a study that was done by Google and they looked at what makes the most effective teams. And they tried to look at, you know, what were the personality sets or the agenda driven, like all the type of type of things in terms of what makes a team and a meeting really successful and psychological safety was the number one thing that drove it and it's people's ability to feel safe and in a trusted environment where they can share things. The best way I think to describe 
psychological safety is to talk about situations where it doesn't exist. Think about the meeting like a boss in the big conference room, sitting at the head of the table in the larger chair than other people have, sitting above other people while you're sitting in their setting, you know, all around you and trying to have a meeting. That's not a safe environment. Like, like even just that basic, like you're, you're sending all kinds of signals or the boss that calls you into an office and they sit at the desk and they're in a chair a little bit higher than you are and you're sitting in the uncomfortable plastic chair on the other side behind the desk. Those aren't, that's not an equal setting, that, that's different or the boss that walks around the room during the meeting and stands over people, stands behind people. Or, or you know, I, I think of the, the, the uh, Al Capone movie, The Untouchables, you know, where he's walking yeah. around swinging the baseball bat. I mean, that's certainly, that was actually unsafe conditions for the attendees of that meeting, if you haven't seen that movie. But it's, it's, it's the movement, it's, those are the things that created unsafe. It's the, it's the threats, it's, the un, it's almost the body language. You don't, the boss may not intend those things, but that's the, that, those are parts of it. I think of when it's, so let's first say it's a brainstorming or it's a, okay, we're going to look for ideas. And then it's the, it's the person who's always like shooting down all of the ideas. They're like, that'll never work. We've already tried that. That's a, what? That doesn't even make sense. You know, that person who's yeah. just like always doing that. And then you're like, okay, I'm not going to talk then. <laughs> that's where it's just. Yeah, that's what you're effectively, you're effectively training your team not to interact then. You know, one of the questions that I asked that, that group earlier this week was, what does a team look like that does not have psychological safety? And all of a sudden the people are not participating in the meetings. They're not raising their hand to sign up for other projects. And, and you know, if you just follow that path, now the boss translates that as, I have a team that's burned out. I have a team that doesn't care. I have a team that's disengaged whenever you can kind of follow this whole circular pattern. And it might be, you no know, how you're actually facilitating them or leading them or engaging them. So let's maybe spend some time here hey, talking about- Oh, Hey, Matt, yeah. can I add one more thing to that yeah. thought? Well, I just wanted to add one more thing there. You know, you talked about that cycle. I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of facilitators make is they don't answer or they don't, they don't ask enough questions and then they give too many answers. They, explain they, yourself, explain they, yourself, Don Harkey. Explain what does yourself. That mean? What yeah. the heck do you mean? That wasn't very safe, Matt. I don't know about that. But <laughs> the idea is, so in the facilitator, you'll see people that I've seen facilitators go through and say, you know, our company really, our team needs to work better together. And we need to, we need to really solve problems as a team and we need to work really hard and we've got to come together. And, and I've watched them in the meeting and struggling and it's like, they're, they're trying to figure out what to say next. And they're just really lecturing and they're not asking any questions. And later they'll say like, my employees didn't say anything. I'm like, well, you never stop. You never stop talking. You have to ask a question to be able to, to, to put it out there. And then the other piece of that, to flip that around then is that when questions do arise, not to take all the questions as the facilitator, but to, to, to hit them back. I'll even give you an extreme example. Like, I mean, we're consultants. We work all over the country, all different types of organizations. We've got some, we've seen some stuff. Like we've got some pretty good advice. We've, we've collected it if we do say so ourselves, but there's often meetings that we will have with groups of managers inside a company where someone will bring up a problem that I know our team has a pretty good answer for. And we'll still say, well, who's got a good idea on how to answer that? Well, who's got a good thought? And it's yeah. instead of answering the question yourself as a facilitator and taking all that on, then otherwise it's just a one, one-to-one -one conversation with a bunch of people in the room and you're just taking turns having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. By opening it up of saying, who's got a good idea or who else could answer that question? You're allowing the group to start to interact with each other 
which really gets the conversation going and le leverages the strengths of the group and builds engagement. And if we if we take that a step further, I mean, I like it. That's that's one of the ways that you could potentially start to begin to build psychological safety. I think the who's got a good who has a good thought or who has an idea for this works if I know the answer and if I don't know the answer equally well. The second part of that is if they say, well, we, we could do this, man, a great facilitator tip is that second level question to say, oh, okay, if we did that, what does that look like? I mean, that's just an example of furthering that conversation or maybe what that what that psychological safety, you're building that psychological safety by encouraging conversation and building upon somebody else's somebody else's idea. Let me go through, and I have, I'm looking at this from another uh, session that we do talking about facilitating, and let me go through some of these classic mistakes, and as we, I'm walking through some of these, we could talk about them if you'd like, but I really want these listeners to be able to hear, oh, I'm guilty of that, or oh, yeah, that's the one I struggle with, like that. So these classic mistakes uh, don't fall into the lecture pitfall, and the reason why I say that, I think we're talking about lecture Typically, people don't like to go to a meeting where they're just going to be lectured to, especially if it's longer than an hour. That lecture pitfall, it's easy for me to impart my wisdom. I'm going to be a little dramatic here, but it's easy for me to impart my wisdom as the boss. I have achieved this position. I have gained lots of knowledge. I've been with the company for a long time. Sit down. Let me tell you a story about me and how I came to be the boss of this uh, organization, right? Let me share all of my wisdom. I'm glad you have gathered here. That's maybe an over-dramatization, but that's kind of what that feels like. It limits the amount of facilitation right off the bat. Uh, was that a shot across my bow, Matt? Is that my meeting like I've led that meeting with our staff recently? Does that feel like a... Mm, maybe, not it, recent, maybe not recently. We've talked about it since then. Is this, <laughs> this seems like a well-designed <laughs> intervention is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Diana, what are you going to say? Oh. I was going to say, Matt, welcome, or Don, welcome to my world. Every <laughs> podcast I have feels like a staged intervention by you guys. That's so, good. That's good. Welcome. Could you... Could you mute yourself? Thank you. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you all. All right. So the next one, now this is one of those, and this is maybe next level facilitator stuff, but if I'm facilitating in person, especially for those, for those types of meetings, we have a flip chart or the, the marker board behind us. Just be careful of the different types of markers that you choose to chart responses with. Uh, some people have a colorblindness to certain colors, and I don't think that everybody is always aware of that. I love this next one though, and I want to hear the conversation here or hear your thoughts maybe of what, what this looks like. And I'm going to explain it and then see if you've experienced this, but uh, it says, be careful to not tear down by building up. And the idea of this is sometimes we get into it. So let's say I'm facilitating the meeting and I say, you know, Don has a thought and I say, great, that's a great thought. Okay, thank you. Bethany has a thought. And I say, like, yeah, I love that. Okay, great, thanks. And then Diana has a thought and I, and even though I like it, I don't say anything or I might just nod. So typical. Yeah, so typical. <laughs> I might just nod. And, and I, and the, the idea behind this is if, if I am facilitating the meeting, I'm encouraging participation, then I want to make sure that I am acknowledging everybody's responses somewhat equally if I can, because not, you know, it's not going to take long for Diana to be like, wait a second. He told Don and Bethany, thanks, but then I offered something and there was no thanks. So I'm more likely to maybe not respond to that. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that, or does that make sense? Anything to add to that point? So Matt, I'm, I'm hearing our listeners just shouting through the podcast, our more than workers shouting back to us right now saying, but what if Diana's idea is terrible? What if Don's idea was brilliant? And what if Bethany's idea was brilliant? And what if Diana's idea was terrible? How do you handle that as a facilitator? See, I think False. this is a... 
<laughs> Diana says, I, I know this is a made up scenario and I can already tell you it's wrong. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, this is a good one, right? This, uh, this is a, this is a next level facilitator. This might even be, this might even be a whole nother podcast, by the way, but being able to respond appropriately to wrong answers. That's a difficult one. So if we say, if we say, what's your favorite, what's your favorite dessert? And they're like, key lime pie. And then somebody else is like, I like dog food. And it's like, mm, that's a good one also. Like, how do you appropriately respond to that, to that one? Right. And, and some of these might be internal uh, as well, too, because I'm looking for a specific answer in my mind. And as a facilitator, I might have to open that up just a little bit more. If it's a if it's a wrong answer, the honestly, this quickest tip that I would say if I was answering this honestly, if I feel like it's a wrong answer, I don't want to be the one to maybe point it out. If Diana says something completely off base that is totally wrong, I might say, okay, that's a thought. What do you all think about that? And then I throw it back to the rest of the group. And then if it's completely outlandish, it sounds different for Bethany to go, uh, I think that, I don't know if I would say that. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> That sounds different if Bethany is able to point that out instead of me pointing that out. Like typically, if it's that far off, the group will take care of that for you. Yeah, Bethany, let the, what were let's, let the group throw people under the bus. Basically, that's what we're saying. <laughs> I think I think that I think it sounds different, kind of like with us with outside insight. You know, yeah. how many times have we dealt with an organization and a manager and they're like, I said that for six months and nobody ever heard it. It's just, <laughs> it's different whenever we say it. And it's different in a group setting when the team can say, mm, I understand why they might say that, or, or maybe I've experienced that before, but I'm not sure that that's actually how it goes now. I think we've changed that process or we've added to it since then. And it's different when the team can police themselves than the facilitator pointing that out. Done. I, I think sometimes as a facilitator, and this is another trick you could use is sometimes there's an incomplete, maybe it's not a bad idea. You just have no idea what they just said. So, I mean, your, your key lime pie and dog food is, is an yeah. interesting like combination. Like you clearly asked for desserts and yeah. somebody like says like key lime pie and somebody else says dog food. Yeah. You could, your choice could not be like, well, that's a terrible idea. You could <laughs> say that, but I mean, that's not, or does anybody else like dog food for dessert? Like that's a bad yeah. thing. You could say like, since that's so outrageous as an answer, you could say, and I do this a lot. It's like, well, say more about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, could you explain that? Unpack that for me a little bit, because sometimes somebody will say, like, I've had situations where the person says dog, dog food. Oh, you talked about desserts. Like, I, I thought you meant for like animals and people. Like, I didn't know that you meant that just for humans. <laughs> right. And then right. you clarify the direction of that. Or maybe they're like, I can't. I was just throwing out a joke. Okay, right. well, good. Now we just acknowledge the joke. There's value in that. Sometimes just if you don't know what they meant, it's okay to say, say more about that. Tell me more yeah. a little bit about what you just said. I, li I like that. And again, gosh, I can talk about this topic for a long time. Just, just know your audience. Whenever you hear that, just know your audience. Because if you say, why did you say that? Say, what, what do you mean by that? And all of a sudden that person was like, oh man, I was just trying to raise my hand so I could kind of participate. Now you're asking me another question. You know, that I have to read, I have to be able to read the room. And by the way, I, I fell right into that myself speaking in Oklahoma a few weeks ago and I turn guy participates. He finally participates. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean by that? And normally I'm good about throwing that to the group, but I threw it right back at him. And he was like deer in headlights. He was like, Oh, and I, and I even was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'll put myself in timeout over here. I'll speak from this part of the room for a little bit until we mend that fence. But but so it's it's hard, you know, you don't always want to throw it right back to that that person. But 
Let me let me switch gears for go ahead. I'm sorry, Matt, but in that situation, you know, the way out of that could be just advanced facilitation to trick is to say, you know, who can help them out? Like, 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 let's help them out. Like, let's let's because somebody else, especially in a bigger room, yeah, somebody probably has a similar thought to what that person does. And then if they can't, then you kind of laugh about it and like, okay, let's just we're fine, move on, you know. Yeah, cut your losses. I like it. I like it. Let's look at some of the classic wins that we, you know, potentially have too. Embrace the silence. We talked about that. That was one of those facilitator situations situations there that embracing the silence allows them to process. I don't need to be the expert recognizing as a facilitator. I don't have to be the expert on all of the things. Recognize that you have a smart, capable team of people in front of you. And the more I can help set them up for success, then the better we will be as a team. If I'm in person, I want to be able to move with a purpose. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But body posture, nonverbals, those types of things. I do want to encourage everyone to participate, but they don't have to. This idea of encouraging everyone to participate. We talked earlier about what does quote unquote involved mean. And now we're going to talk about maybe what does quote unquote participate mean? I, I do want people to participate, but recognize participation might look might look different uh, differently around the table. So how do I handle that? Like, how do I understand maybe if people are, are participating and how do I gauge that and how do I encourage that? So there was early in my career, someone asked me, it was something like, what role do you prefer to play in a meeting? And my immediate answer was like, what are you talking about? Like I had never even thought about it, right? This, it just, the concept of like, what role do you play when you sit in a meeting? had never occurred to me. And so when I was asked that, it took me back a little bit. And I was like, wow, well, I didn't even realize there were different roles in a meeting yeah, and that different people wanted to do things differently. And so I started to think about really the, the answer to the question, what role do I want to play? But then I started thinking about what are the roles other people have? What mm -hmm. are the different roles in a meeting? How, what do those look like and how do I interact better with them so that we can have more effective meetings? So I think you start by say, identifying what are the roles that people play in meetings and how do you work all of those together in the same meeting? Mm -hmm. Okay. I was thinking as you were talking, Diana, with that question of like, what role do you want, like, do you play in a meeting? And my initial thought was it depends on the meeting and it depends on who's in the meeting. Yeah. And that's going to dictate how I show up in a meeting, right? Because there's lots of different, it, you know, if it's a brainstorming meeting and I know that, like, I'm probably going to show up in that a little bit differently than I am in like a, I don't know, financial meeting, like we're looking at our numbers or whatever. And it depends on who's in the meeting. If there are, you know, people playing the roles of just like somebody who's just, they talk all the time. They always bring stuff up. They're usually the dominant voice in the conversation. Then it's going to be, you know, it'll be harder for me to jump into that meeting. You know, just an example. Those are just my initial thoughts. I like your idea there, Bethany, of like kind of customizing it to your audience. You have to know. So if you you know your team, hopefully you know your team. And if you have the person who usually is very vocal in meetings and they're usually very outgoing and they have a meeting where they're really quiet, then you could pick up like something's a little bit off about that. Or I've been in meetings before too, where you have the quiet person and I, I like this, this personality. And there's usually some people, there's usually one or two in a, in a meeting 
who are sitting there very quietly, but you watch their face and they're giving you lots of nonverbal responses. They're picking up the stuff that you're, you're talking about or the teams are talking about and they're thinking about it and they're processing it. And I'll watch for that person. And, and as a facilitator, I'll pay actually extra special attention to them, not to draw them out, but because I wanna look for the cue that they're about ready to say something. Because when that person who's been sitting there listening and processing and thinking through the meeting says something, oftentimes it's really, really good and meaningful. That's, a, that's the person you really, really wanna to listen to. And it's almost a moment as a facilitator where as soon as that person even starts to say something, even if they're quiet, even if they're not good, like Bethany said of overriding the loud talkers in the room, you wanna watch that. And the moment they're gonna about ready to speak, you almost like want everybody shut up. EF Hutton is about to speak. Like this is gonna be really, really really good. Let's listen to what this is. You know, I, I and I'm thinking of specifically, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of these, di these uh, different participants within meetings, but we'll start with that one, like the silent person, like this person who is silent during meetings and, and to the facilitator, if you're not, maybe if you're not an experienced facilitator, this person can be frustrating. And the reason why it's frustrating is because we feel like we are failing as a facilitator because they are not always engaging in conversation. We feel like I'm not asking the right questions or I'm not, you know, they're just not interested in the topic. And, and sometimes if you're a, just starting out trying to learn this whole facilitating gig, we take that personally because darn it, our job is to encourage conversation. And I'm thinking specifically, and you all will know who this is, but I'm thinking specifically of a person who runs an audience development department for a magazine that we work with and on the on the eastern part of the United States, that's all I'll say. But uh, she is definitely in this category here of, of quiet, but her, she is super engaged. Her eyes are always there. Her nonverbals are always, always going, the nodding, uh, those things. But you will probably have to call on her to be able to get her thoughts. And here's the thing that I would encourage facilitators with. You, I promise you want those thoughts. So create the space, embrace the silence and, and, and let them have that space to process. And when it's time, maybe you can ask who has, who has thoughts about this. And, and sometimes you might have to ask that person specifically, but read the body language to see if it's time. Bethany? There was actually, so I just graduated from my leadership Springfield class and we finished, we had our final retreat and the facilitator for that, Don was one of them, but it was not him. It was the other one. We were having a discussion and I guess I was just like, she asked a question, nobody was answering it, but I was like, very like, I'm nodding with her. I'm like smiling. And I don't think I even realized I was doing it. I was just like engaged in the conversation. I just, I didn't raise my hand to say anything. And she like, she, she, you know, was like, do you have any, did you have something or are you just like being really agreeable? And I was like, I was a little bit like taken aback, but I was like, oh yeah, well, since you asked me, like, here's what, what I was thinking about, but I was still actively like processing it. So I hadn't, I wasn't ready to sh share it, even though I did, <laughs> but yeah. since she, since she called on me, I was like, okay, I, I'll answer you. This is what I was thinking about and why I was nodding my head. I just hadn't fully processed it, processed it enough to be like, I'm going to raise my hand and share this. Yeah. Well, here's the good thing being at that meeting too, Bethany, I can remember even what you said. And that was a full day like retreat. I remember what you added to the conversation because I remember thinking, wow, that's really good. I hadn't thought about it like that. 
So even adding it in, and I like how she actually asked for it. It's like, do you have something you'd like to add? Like, it's a question, there's a way out of that. But then you even giving the partially unfinished version of truth did, did contribute to the overall group and the overall discussion, which is why you still wanna draw it together. And that, that's maybe a, a little bit of a, of a tip out there for the folks that are a little bit more processors of like, give yourself a little bit of, of freedom that it doesn't have to be perfect before it goes out to the group. Like the, the unfinished ideas can be finished by a group, can be processed by a whole group too. Uh, I just, I like I just that. wanted yeah. to add that since I was there. Yeah, thanks. And I think that that's a good opportunity for a facilitator then to be able to pulling out those half processed thoughts of then helping trying to make some connection points too with the rest of the room. So yeah, that's that that's great. And I love just because they started the conversation doesn't mean they have to finish the conversation either. You know, being able to redirect and use utilize the, the people in the room is is impactful too. Can we spend just a few minutes here talking about the difficult participants? Because I think if everything were always, you know, sunshine and rainbows and I would be able to facilitate and people would be able to give, you know, constructive, you know, comments and, and, and bring something to the table, it would be super easy to facilitate some of these conversations. But we do have some difficult participants as well. We won't mention people by name, but I have effectively labeled them. Now, let's talk about the sniper. The sniper is that person that is always, and I think Bethany actually talked about it briefly, but the person that consistently just shoots down the ideas. Like, no, 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 we've tried that before. Or, no, I don't think that's a good idea. We should go this direction. Or yeah, no, they're there. It feels like a personal attack if you're facilitating the meeting because they're not just shooting down your ideas. They're shooting down other people's ideas as, as well. So what do I do? How do I use uh, my facilitation skills to be able to effectively interact with the sniper? So pro tip, we have a little watch. We've partnered with Invisible Fence and uh, <laughs> it's electrified. And we ask, we'll give that as a gift ahead of time. If we know there's a sniper that's going to be in the meeting, we can shock <laughs> the person. So it's like, well, I think that's a stupid idea. <laughs> very like effective. With his, with yes. the very, very, very effective. Now, I think there's actually, there, there's some pretty clever, and this is kind of advanced tricks that you can do. There are some really good body language things you can do in those situations. When you know that there's somebody that's shooting down ideas left and right, there's one, imagine like you're in a room and sitting around in a circle and the facilitator, you're leading the meeting there and, and, and you're, you have the opportunity to walk around a little bit in the room. Like, like you have an opportunity to be able to do that. Like imagine the person who's kind of the sniper who's sitting in the circle kind of shooting down the ideas. Imagine going up, like standing right next to them, kind of putting your hand on their shoulder almost a little bit. You don't even have to touch them, but you're just right there. And then asking the question, like the, the nonverbals are like, I'm asking everyone else a question right now. There, there's some nonverbal yeah. ways to get a person, make a person less likely to talk, or you can flip that around, by the way, and you can make people more likely to talk also by how you open up, how you use your body language during a discussion. I, I think that's one thing. And I mean, another thing is whenever they do go shoot something down, I think you can shoot down the shoot downer. People who shoot down stuff, snipers are used to shooting. And a lot of times they can take fire people shooting back. They like to, they like to argue a little bit and just say, okay, maybe that, maybe that won't work. Maybe you're right. But if it did work, what would that look like? And then open up the conversation that way. Or if that wasn't such, you know, okay, so you think that's a terrible idea, but maybe it's not a terrible idea. So then what could we do to come around? It's kind of like you, you, you're not resisting, you're not fighting them, but you're saying what you're saying might be true, but if it wasn't, then can we move past it? And that, that's one way of, it's one trick to get the rest of the group to help you out a little bit. I think it it could to add to that i think if if it's a person who's always shooting down ideas it's kind of talk like 
maybe there is something to learn from it, or maybe there's just a small pivot that needs to happen there. So just asking the question of, okay, well, why didn't it work last time? What happened to draw that conversation a little bit more? Yeah. And again, I think there's strength in numbers. So that typically that sniper is on an island. And a lot of times they're the one shooting down all of those ideas. And frankly, like no pressure, but if you're the facilitator, you have to be able to corral that because they will, they will change the entire tone of the entire meeting. By the way, if that continues to happen, they are, they are shooting down your psychological safety at the same time. And so what I can potentially do is I can turn that right around to the group. There's power numbers, like I said. So they say, no, 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 no. We did that 10 years ago. It didn't work. And Bethany, I think has a good point. We can say, oh, okay. How many of you were here 10 years ago? Raise your hand, you know? Uh, okay, so for those of you that were a part of that, how, how come it didn't work? And then I can turn that, turn that right around. Or I can even say, okay, so it didn't work 10 years ago. Gosh, 10 years ago seems like a long time. How many of you feel like we should give it another go? And then we're almost polling the audience there and we're using the group, we're using the group to our advantage. Don? I think another one, and this is like an extreme situation. So I have a toxic sniper who just will not stop. They just keep pressing. Or if the sniper is the boss, is the lead person in the room, because that really shuts it down. And that's really hard. You can start doing a lot of those tricks that we talked about, and you can get through most of them. But I've been in meetings before where that gets so bad that you just have to call it like it is and end the meeting. Just say like, we're going to like, like, okay, well, let's, let's circle back and let's talk about this again in the future and kind of bail out of the discussion before and then handle it offline. Like, well, I've, we've done that before where I've like, okay, now I'm going to go engage the sniper one-on-one -on -one independently. And a lot of times it's the boss as the consultant and just say, how did you think that meeting went? Well, I didn't get a lot of feedback from people. Well, did you notice you were shooting down? Can I give you some feedback? You were shooting down all the ideas in the room and that was really hard. How do you want us to proceed moving forward? Or if it's somebody else who's on a team, maybe they don't need to be, maybe they don't wanna be there. Maybe you should free them from having to attend that the meeting. You know, there's ways to be able to do that too. If that's an employee of yours, I would say that's a, probably a discussion to have of like finding out if they always do that, you need to figure that's toxic and you need to have a deeper conversation about what's going on there because I need you to stop doing that because that's a threat to our culture. Don, I've seen you do this in a room and I'm trying to choose my words carefully. You were in, we're in a room. There was several people there. We had, we, we, we got to do a series of conversations through the whole company, same topic, you know, all, all, you know, about, about their uh, culture and value and things like that. And there was one employee that was very disgruntled in the middle of this room. And I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but they were just very disgruntled and they kept bringing it up through all of their answers, like their dissatisfaction shined through all of their answers that they gave and they were combating what it is and we can ignore it or we can engage it. And that was one of those times where you pulled them closer and said, okay, let's just talk about this for just a second. And almost you challenged them to consider how they were coming across. And, and they were like, oh, you know, it was almost like this eye-opening experience for them. Like, I'm not, I did, I'm not meaning to do that uh, kind of a thing. Do you remember the situation I'm talking about, or am I speaking too much in code? No, I do. I'm, I'm totally with you, and I do remember that moment. And I would call that like an advanced advanced. Not, I'm not trying to say like I've got a doctor degree in facilitation or something, <laughs> but we do it a lot. Yeah. And there's certain moments, like in general, I wouldn't say like, that's a good move. I right. think you really have to know your audience and you have to know the moment and you have to read the body language of the person that's out there. But yeah, sometimes people don't realize how they're coming off in those discussions. They don't think yep. of themselves as the sniper. They think of themselves as a realist. 
Right. Uh, and, and they're sharing some things. So sometimes it might take a discussion inside the group to just say, you know, especially if it's just really torpedoing the meeting. And this one was a bigger group of people. It was right. a fairly large group of people that worked and they don't all work together on a daily basis. They were from different areas. So they didn't all know each other, which makes that a little bit riskier. But yeah, there's a point where the elephant's in the room already. No, nobody's questioning whether that person was right. positive or negative. Right. So in that case, I just read the room and I read the situation. I said, everybody's going to be talking about that. So let's just address it right now because we got to have a productive conversation because we're not going to get this group back together in the future. Yeah, that is next level. I thought I thought that was I thought that was good, but sometimes it is important to address it, whether you do it there or after the meeting. You might need to address that. This this next one is the I you know call it the mucho talker here, but the derailer, right? The one that just has everything to offer to all of the different things. You know, Don mentioned body language earlier, and body language in person is a very very powerful tool. Like I can work a room verbally and non-verbally of being able to just move to certain parts of the room. If there is per there is a person the way this works for this one if there is a person that has an answer to everything that if I'm in a room full of people, I might specifically walk towards them and then turn away from them as I'm answer asking the question. That might be my first go-to move. So it's clearly that I'm lo looking elsewhere for that answer. I'll confess cuz you said, you know, this works in person. And obviously we're doing a lot more Zoom meetings stuff these days. And I think we're gonna to continue to do Zoom meetings. And I'll confess something. I've done the Zoom version of that is you Zoom can do something that you can't do live in a meeting is you can mute somebody. Brilliant. Yeah. I love and that. I, I and love I don't know if you tool. even talked about that, but I've had people that talk so talk enough and we're bringing stuff in that I've had my hand on their mute and I watch them and they'll go to speak and unmute themselves and I'll remute them. And they think it's a zoom issue. They're like, what the heck? And they're trying to work that out. <laughs> and it's just long enough to let somebody else do it. And they don't ever know that you're, so that's a behind the scenes thing. You guys maybe don't even know that I've ever done that before. Right. Again, that's kind of an extreme case, but I've, I've been in a couple yeah. discussions this last year where I've done that. Or if you do breakout rooms, you can put them in a room by themselves. That's another <laughs> that's, pro tip. Um, I don't know why I put you in a room by yourself. That's, <laughs> that's weird. That was weird. Yeah. And then lastly, we have the know-it-all, the, the know-it-all, the one that, that, man, they really have all of the answers, uh, all the answers to different things. And, and, you know, one of the things is we try to use them less because, you know, sometimes that impacts the learning of the other people that are also there to try to learn if the same person is answering the question all the time. And really one of the questions that I would consider if I'm the facilitator is, can I use this person and their knowledge? They clearly have a lot of knowledge how can I leverage this person's knowledge and their their desire to share this knowledge, but in a way that I can control I, I can control it? And maybe it is an agenda talking point. You know what? You have a lot of knowledge around this. Do you mind to take just like three minutes of each of each of our weekly meeting to give us an update on the most up to date things that's happening here? Like if I create the space that they they know they have an opportunity to be able to engage and it's in a productive manner, then I'm more than happy to give them a little bit of space during the meeting so they can own something and feel like they're a productive part of that too. Other things to add or other participants that you think we should probably talk about or have we covered a lot of those bases here for this topic? I think that's a good group. I think what's important to understand is we gave some generalizations, just like when we talk about personalities or we talk about communication styles. These are generalizations in terms of what people are. You've got to get to know your team, which fortunately most of the meetings we have are with people that we do know for most people. And so you do have an opportunity to really customize how you run the meeting, how you facilitate it based on the individual people on your team. That's right. All right. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Let's go around the table and give a facilitation uh, tip here for the group. Who would like to start us off? 
I was thinking for, and this is morally more specifically for like one type of participant, thinking about the more silent participant, I think sometimes, and I don't think we, I don't think we mentioned this, but sometimes it's just, you know, making sure that they're really well prepared on what are we doing at this meeting? And maybe what are some things that I need to think about going into this meeting that might give them a better chance at speaking up and saying something if they have a really good understanding. Even if it's a meeting that you have weekly, if there are some specific things that you wanna cover that week and questions that you wanna ask or feedback that you wanna get from the group, those people really might benefit from having just a pre-email. It's not gonna be beneficial for everybody, but that person might need it to help them be more willing to speak in at the meeting. Yeah, great. Thanks, Bethany. Diana? My tip is for the participants as well. It is to really know your value in a meeting and understand where you add value and look for where others add value and encourage them to live in that space. And when you have everybody really living in their true unique value in a meeting, you're going to have such good meetings. Awesome. Something to look forward to. Don? Yeah, I think I'm going to talk to the facilitator piece. I think if you're leading a meeting, use the people in the room. You don't have to have all the answers. You do just need to have the next question. And the next question can be, I have no idea what to talk about next. I don't know where to go from right now. I am completely lost in terms of where we can make the most progress. Would somebody help me? And believe me, as a professional facilitator who leads a lot of meetings, I have asked that question. And that sometimes is the smartest question you can ask of just saying, I don't know what to do. Does anybody have a good idea on how we could proceed and move forward next? And let the group help bail you out or leave that for the group for the next meeting to try to figure out. I think that's just be a little bit vulnerable and lean on the group. I like it. And I'm going to, I'm going to finish with a couple of thoughts here. Effective facilitators ask questions and give clarity of direction. And if I can do that, then facilitation earns engagement and buy-in. So if I am wondering how to get my team more bought into what it is that we're doing, try to get them engaged more, it's not anything else that you can give them a direction to tell them. It's probably a question that you haven't asked. Ask the right question to be able to create engagement and buy into the process of what it is that you're trying to do. So hope you enjoyed these different tips there. If you have other specific questions on facilitation or anything about those effective meetings, we'd be happy to interact with you on that. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time. And in the meantime, lead well.